And so now, Lord, indeed, we ask that you would be present in our midst now while we study your holy word. Um, Would you open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to see and hear what it is that um, you have done for us in Jesus, to see the miracles that you wrought at the hands of those first apostles, to see and believe and receive and um, to just know your great love for us again today, uh, this Friday. Um, So we ask this in your name, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, I, you know, at the top of your page, under the context section, I have a little bit of a recap. Um, And I'm going to ask you to help me with this. I probably said this till I'm blue in the face, but maybe not. And if you want me to say it again, I will. But what do I mean when I'm referring back to chapter 1, verse 8? I've referred back a few different times to that verse. Anybody want to flip back? If you, if you feel like you might know what, it, what I'm talking about, if I mention that, flip back and just reread it for yourself and just t- tell us, what, what does that verse, what is the significance of that verse for the whole gospel? And how have we been seeing that verse fulfilled in the last few chapters? We sat down with you last week. Yeah, go Trudy. <laughs> <laughs> you teach it, Trudy. <laughs> that was Jesus saying, go out and yeah. tell the message to the whole world. That's right. And it's right before he ascends, right? So it's at the very beginning. And, and he's not just telling them to do it. He's saying they're going to do it. He's saying they're going to do it. And can you imagine standing there and thinking, do you want us to do what? That's probably how they felt. You want us to do what? Well, we're Jews, and we can't go after unclean people. Mm-hmm. And we can't, you know, do all that. We can't do all that. And, I mean, yeah. we're not allowed. And then remember, these are the same disciples <coughs> who were hiding in the upper room when Jesus was arrested. This is Peter who betrayed him, or who um, denied him. These are the, the 11 apostles who <coughs> were not there at the foot of the cross um, and who who fled, and something is going to happen. What is it that happens that changes them and empowers them to to obey this command of Jesus, or to just do this command of Jesus voluntarily? Um, and we see it in chapter two. Big hint. The Holy Spirit comes. Yeah, the Holy Spirit comes. And um, I don't oh, remember. But, but excuse yes, me. But yeah, go okay. It, it says the first sentence is. But when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will receive. Yes. You'll receive Not what? What are they going to receive? The power. They're going to receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes upon them. What were you going to say, Kate? This. Not, you started to say those. Not, oh, just wait a minute. You know, you might have, it's, you I will mean, receive it. <laughs> you will receive it and you will do it. Yeah. <laughs> Not even like, go do it and then you think, Oh, you know, on their part, oh, we got better go do this. No, he said, you will do it. And I, they must have wondered what that meant. And it's almost as though the power of the Holy Spirit causes them to do it, whether it, it strengthens them, strengthens them, strengthens them, empowers them, gives them the courage, gives them the wisdom to preach the way they preach, gives them power to heal in the name of Jesus. Mm-hmm. I mean, so we see all these miracles in these first <laughs> several chapters. There's something too, and I've been sort of really, my, my imagination has been captured by this idea of, uh, I think I probably mentioned it like 
a couple times, I've mentioned it a couple times in sermons as well as in this context. There's something about, I often think in terms of a bullseye, you know, what is the most important thing at the very center? Because I, I can often get very um, distracted by or interested in something way over here that's peripheral, that might be somewhat important, but not, is not the most central important thing. And so, um, and I'm very spatially oriented, and so a bullseye is something that just makes sense to me. I, wa- I want to know, X marks the spot, what is in the very center, what is the most important thing? That's something I'm continually trying to ask myself in my life when I'm making decisions, um, in ministry when I'm making decisions, in reading scripture when I'm trying to understand, okay, Lord, what is going on here in the first century? What does this mean for us today in the 21st century? So this bullseye is important. So if I'm already thinking in terms of these circles, I find myself seeing them everywhere (laughs) because I'm thinking in terms of them. And so where I see them in the book of Acts is I see them here in this, um, in this verse from um, 1.8. I think about it in terms, now not in terms of a bullseye, but in terms of an earthquake. And where, where, what is the cause? What is the very center of the earthquake? And how is it having effects going out from the very center of the earthquake? So if we had to say, what was the epicenter of the earthquake? It happened at, it all happened at Jerusalem. Jerusalem, he died and rose from the dead. So Jerusalem starts at the very center of this <coughs> earthquake, kind of a power going out. And in verse 1, chapter 1, verse 8, he talks about not just in Jerusalem, in the very center of where it happened, but then gradually going out from there, even to the ends of the earth. So you see him talking about Samaria. You see... Um, Judea is this country surrounding Jerusalem. And then the third place that he talks about, or fourth place that he talks about, is to the ends of the earth, which I always think of in terms of... Um, do you have any grandchildren who have watched Toy Story? Do you know what I... Yeah, <laughs> yeah you got it. That's right, Liz. To infinity and beyond. To infinity and beyond. Is the, um, that, for those of you who might not know, there's this toy that comes magically alive and his name is Buzz Lightyear and he's so confident in his own abilities he actually believes that he is a superhero with supernatural powers um, even though he's just a toy um, he believes he's the actual character and but the motto of the character is to infinity and beyond and he's like this space astronaut with superhuman powers of some sort that I forget about but this um, Acts chapter 1 verse 8 Jesus is saying to infinity and beyond you will go to the ends of the earth not just in Jerusalem not in the places that you know but not just in Judea and Jerusalem but then even in Samaria a place you don't like because <laughs> remember with the Samaritans we saw this in chapter 8 when Philip the evangelist and others are pushed out from Jerusalem because of the persecution of Stephen, following that persecution, um, many people, many of the Jewish Christians ended up getting out of Dodge, moving out to be able to um, not be killed. Um, and so um, Philip the Evangelist ends up in Samaria, and he preaches the gospel to the Samaritans, who were not quite good Jews, but not Gentiles either. They believed in Yahweh, but their worship practices were different. And the Jews, um, those who were very religious and zealous, in the Jewish faith said they're not real Jews um, but they believe they were 
And um, but so even to them, the gospel comes and the Holy Spirit falls. We then see Philip um, ministering to the Ethiopian eunuch, also in chapter eight. And there, then um, we know that the gospel is going out not just beyond the walls of Jerusalem, not just throughout Judea and beyond, not just to those who are quasi-Jewish, um, but also to ones who have been previously separated from the promises of God because of some kind of physical limitation. The eunuch would not have been allowed to worship in the temple because of his physical deformity. Um, and so, and yet the promises of God are for him too. And so the reason why I repeat this all and I bring it back up is because last week we saw another major, not an earthquake of the magnitude of the cross and the resurrection, that's a once and for all um, most important event, but we see something that really shakes up the early church and is a sign for us too of something that God is calling us to. And that is that, and the Lord prefaces what happens by giving Peter multiple visions. Anybody want to tell us what happened last week, if you remember? The sheep was also there. Yeah, Mary, can you tell us about that? Um, and it had, all, it had all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air in it. So just just saying that God and God created all of those so there's no unclean thing. That's right. That's right. So what... Um, what why would what were the things the things in the sheet were unclean things that they were not supposed to eat right and um and this idea of now let me just preface this by saying this is different than the moral law within the old testament within the Pentateuch, <laughs> there are different kinds of laws this is different than the moral law we're not saying that the lord is taking the ten commandments and saying changing his mind about them um, that's uh, often this text is used to say, well, God is changing his mind about the Ten Commandments. That's not true. That's different. That's the moral law. This is about ritual and ceremonial purity um, in terms of what, um, how people can meet in the presence of God, what, um, what prerequisites need to be met before they can enter the presence of God because the prerequisites have all been met in Jesus Christ. Um, morally and ceremonially um, and so now there are no ceremonial or um, physical prerequisites there's nothing we have to do to receive the grace of God in Jesus Christ um, when I was when I was in college I kept wanting to take a class I, I love I loved electives and I, w I always thought I was smarter than I was and so I always wanted to take an upper level elective I must have been crazy to want to take an upper level elective um, and, and without having taken the prerequisite and I often got myself into hot water because I was very convincing and they would let me take the upper level class without the prerequisite and then I'd have to go back and try and learn but there are no, there's no prerequisite to receiving the grace of God in Jesus Christ and that's what they're saying is this barrier between different ethnicities different races different um, between male and female these are being broken down and that's part of the signification of the sheet descending. No longer is there a barrier to fellowship and hospitality between Christians and non-Christians, um, between people of, multi of different ethnicities. Um, they're not going to let food or diet keep them from being in relationship um, with Gentiles. And what, what, say, and what Peter ends up saying, he ends up realizing this unclean food, this clean and unclean, refers not just to 
this ceremonial cleanliness, but it refers to people too because the physical aversion that they had taken on and this idea of holiness associated with what goes into a body. Remember that Jesus said it's not cleanness and uncleanness is not about what goes into the stomach, but what comes out of the belly of man. What comes out of the heart of man is what's clean or unclean. And out of our hearts come lies and malice and slander and um, out of the mouth of humanity. Um, So essentially Jesus is saying in his Gospels, we're each unclean. If not, I'm clean, you're not clean. Um, We're each unclean and we each need to be cleansed in Jesus. And that cleansing, the promise of that cleansing is available to all people, no matter who they are, no matter where they start out, no matter where they're from, no matter what they look like, no matter what they wear, no matter, period. God's grace is open and available to them. Thoughts, questions about that? Okay. Remember, again, that this... um, I'm digging in a little bit more into our text, um, so we're going to read pretty soon. Um, Let's go first, since we've talked about being being my witnesses and talked about what happened in the last... um, chapter, let's read um, all of chapter 11 and I'll continue this discussion because for those of you who weren't here last week, what we're talking about will make more sense. When we hear Peter, what we're going to hear is Peter encountered Cornelius, right, who's this Gentile centurion in chapter 10. And while Peter was still preaching, the Holy Spirit fell upon Cornelius and his whole household. So Peter said, they must, they're Christians, they believe in Jesus if they receive the Holy Spirit. Now, what's to keep me from baptizing? I have to baptize them now. So he baptizes them, and they're considered Christians. Now he's headed back to Jerusalem, and he's going to receive some criticism for what he's done at Caesarea. So he's going to explain again. We hear Luke telling again, if you're here last week and you read chapter 10, this is maybe the third time we hear the explanation of what happened. Because we hear the narration when it happened. Then we hear Peter talking to Cornelius about it, Cornelius talking to Peter about what happened to him. And now we're going to hear Peter telling the other Christians in Jerusalem and defending his actions as he tells the other Christians in Jerusalem. Okay, so let's read chapter 11. Um, We're going to read the full chapter. Um, I'll start out with the first couple of verses and feel free to jump in and then um, jump out and let someone else read. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. Never, Lord, I replied. I have never eaten anything forbidden by our Jewish laws. But the voice from heaven came again. If God says something is acceptable, don't say it isn't. This happened three times before the sheep and all it contained was pulled back up to heaven. 
at that very moment, three men sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were. The Spirit told me to go with them and not to make a distinction between them and us. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will give you a message by which you and your entire household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, and he said, John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? I'm going to stop right here just a second. Yes. This uh, baptismal thing is our sermon for our Sunday. Yes. Jesus. Yeah. yeah. Jesus being Jesus. baptized. Yeah. And yesterday, for Sunrise Sinners, you heard Andrew's Bible study on it. Right. Right. So this particular part was John baptizing. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. No, it's good. We're at verse 18. When they heard this, they had no further objection to praise God, saying, so then God has created even the Gentiles repentance unto life. Now those who have been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, yeah. Cyrus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus, look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem and Antioch. One of them named Agabus, Agabus. stood up and through the Spirit predicted that the um, severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples each, according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. This they did, sending their gifts to the elders of Barnabas and Saul. Any thoughts or observations before we continue to dig in? If you you were here last week, you do hear Peter repeating basically everything that happened, right? It kind of reminds me of Revelation when you start talking about and the sheep and the animals and and the angels appear and, you know, when he has to do it. Yeah, because because his vision is supernatural. Yeah, Yeah. that's what I mean. It, and it has that, you kind of, when you hear it, you think, wow, I wonder what that looks like. That must have been 
alarming, surprising. It must have been, I kind of think of it as being beautiful. I kind of like all those, all, all those unclean animals. I don't think I really want to eat them. But, I mean, seeing them in that sheet descending um, could be something beautiful, yeah, something interesting. Mm -hmm. when you're, What's that? You're sort of seeing the purity of them as opposed to the unclean. Right. And, you know, when we, we understand, you know, the words who have called all creation good, you know, prior to the fall, so, you know, when he tells them not to eat certain things, we're not entirely sure why. Some people say there might have been a health factor, and there probably is. I mean, shellfish is on the banned list, and I don't know about you, but I'm very particular about when I eat raw oysters. You know, I'm like, not there, not there. There you can eat them, not there, <laughs> because I don't want to get sick, because you can get sick very easily from a lot of these foods if they're not prepared correctly. Um, so he might have been just protecting them from getting sick. Um, we're not entirely sure why the Lord said, eat this, don't eat this, to the ancient people of Israel. But what you get the sense of is that now that Christ has entered into the world, the beginning of the restoration of all creation is at hand. Not just our human beings, not only our human beings um, redeemed in, through faith in Christ, but at the end, all of creation will be restored to its former glory, to its um, pre-fall beauty. Um, okay, so um, one of the other things to remember, too, about clean versus unclean, you know, I've sort of said there are no prerequisites to grace, but I also want to just remind you, too, what was this about? There was, the Lord had associated certain animals to be eaten or not eaten with the idea of holiness and cleanness before him. Um, as prerequisites to entering into his presence. Remember, if they've eaten something unclean or if they've been unclean, they had to do something before they could go worship in the temple. Um, and so think about just hundreds of years of trying to obey this practice. And, you know, for a while they weren't very good at obeying this practice. And then they really it got hammered home to them, and they were more zealous about obeying it and about instituting a nationwide obedience to it. And and then think about it after that. They probably at this point had a physical aversion to eating those foods. Which is why you hear Peter say, Forbidden Lord, no way, I'm not eating that. Well, I would never eat that. Um, it's not just moral and spiritual, but then it's physical. And then the aversion is to the physical person as well. They have a physical aversion to Gentiles. Um, I don't know if you're at all like me, you might have some strong physical aversions. I, um, I've discovered over the course of my life that I don't like messy food. Like, and the reason why I discovered this was because in reflecting back to um, elementary school, whenever it was Sloppy Joe Day, that was not my favorite day. <laughs> it was so messy. Sloppy Joes are horrible because they're so messy. No, not tacos either. Well, now I can do it if I get myself in the right mindset and I think, okay, there's, I can go wash my hands, then I'll have the barbecued ribs. You know, but I just don't want to get it all over my face and my hands. And I, so I look at it and I think, no, I don't want that. And one of my big rebellions when I was a child was that we, um, it, we sound like such snobs, but in New England, when the lobster's fresh and it's cheap, you have it a lot. So, you know, we, in my family growing up, we would have lobster a couple times a year. And as a child eating lobster, Oh, I sound like such a snob. But as a child eating lobster, you know, when you're breaking it open yourself and you're dissecting it and you get to the tail and you're, you're saying, you want me to eat this? 
and there's green stuff and red stuff and brown stuff and you want me to eat the white stuff? I mean, I literally, it, for a child who doesn't like mess, <laughs> Trudy, the look on your face is exactly how I felt. Like, ugh. What's that? You don't like it either? I love lobster, but I don't like all that red and green stuff. Oh, yeah. We have certain members of our family who, who allow others to make, you know, to do, to dress their lobster. But, um, but I, so that was one of my big rebellions. How lame is that? But that was one of my big rebellions was to say, I will not eat lobster. <laughs> I will not eat it because it's gross because I had a physical aversion to it. Um, a lot of my friends, when they're pregnant, I know they have some pretty strong physical aversions um, to certain smells or certain things. They just can't even, can't even go there. So for Peter and for these first century Jews who had been so faithful in following the covenant law and following these ceremonial laws about purity and about what to eat and what not to eat, it was a physical aversion. And for them, the physical aversion was not just to the food, but to the people who ate the food. Mm-hmm. And when Peter says, um, when he understands, when he gets the purpose of this vision three times, he's talking not just about the uncleanness of the food, he's talking about um, the uncleanness of the people, what God has called um, clean. Mine, here's what mine says, but I like K's. Mine says, what God has made clean, do not call common. God has made clean people of all nations through faith in Jesus Christ. There's the opportunity to be made clean through faith in Jesus Christ for everyone, regardless of their ethnicity. What, what does yours say, Kay? Read it again for us, because that's not what my translation says, but it's so good. But, but the voice from heaven came again. If God says something is acceptable, don't say it isn't. If God says something is acceptable, don't say it isn't. Right. That just says it all. That just says it all. It does, doesn't it? Right there in scripture. <coughs> so um, so it, clearly these visions were necessary, though, for the Lord's purposes to go forward and for the Gentiles to be included. One of the things, um, and this is what I said last week, what does this mean for us? What does the inclusion of the, what is the most similar analogy for us today? Well, not just is there this physical aversion, there's first of all that physical aversion aspect. Is there someone, is there a type of person, to be honest, is there a type of person, whether it's ethnicity or socioeconomic class, where you end up having this aversion? I'd, I'd rather not. Have you ever thought, I don't want to shake that person's hand? I'll fess up. I have. You know, we have a service on Thursday mornings where we have people who don't have a home come and worship in our nave. And I lead that service at least once a month, but I oversee the, you know, the whole service. And, um, and my instinct is when someone has a smell to them, and I know that they haven't had a bath in a long time, and I don't know where they slept last night, and I, I know they don't have access to running water, I don't want to shake their hand. My, that's my aversion, you know. It's, it's the moment of... Okay, I'm going to hold back this a little bit. That's my instinct. It's that very same thing that the Lord is overcoming through his apostles is, no, that person is clean in the mm-hmm. Lord, even if they haven't had a bath in a very long time. So, um, so another little thing. That okay. What God calls clean, you must not call unclean. 
And the vast thing, these brothers and sisters in Christ on Thursday morning, we were doing fought with the blood of Jesus. So, so do him. you overcome your yeah, oh, absolutely. But I, I say a little prayer and I dive in. And I wash my hands afterwards. But I, I and I'm also I a, wish they could. I know, I wish they could too. We do give out hand sanitizer at different times of the year as a just as a gift. Yeah. Um and and I'm also a hugger and so that's one of the things that I'm like, you know, my hair is gonna smell but I'm like go for it. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see the news last yeah, night? Um they shown it on a couple of different stations about the homeless person who came to Chick fil A earlier this week. Okay, no, I didn't. And someone was making a video of the incident because they really thought the manager would throw the person out. Yeah. But he went to the register and asked if he could work for food. Yeah. And the manager said, We will give you food. And he said, But you don't have any gloves. Take my gloves. So that this was all captured on a video that's oh, gone viral. And but when they interviewed the manager, he said it was just the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The man didn't have any gloves. Mm-hmm. Like that Die right. again. Yes, that's right. You know, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Word can overcome our attack. You know, yeah. When it's, and it's amazing. I know. And you don't think about it anymore. I mean, I see my flesh entering in, and I will acknowledge, yeah, there's a lot of flesh in me. Um, but where there's diving in and um, forgetting about the things that would normally hang you back, that's absolutely the Holy Spirit. The God gets all the credit for that one, for sure. So there is that sense, perhaps you've relate, you can relate to that. I would also say one of the best applications of this for today is um, also this barrier that exists between us and other people when they've wronged us. It's so hard to be around someone who has wronged you. I think about our church, and um, even here at the Advent, you might sit next to someone in the pew next to you who... Um, has said something mean to you or snubbed you socially or even worse than that, it might be a family member who (laughs) there's a long history of wrongs committed. And how do you sit next to that person in church and trust that you and that other person are brothers and sisters in Christ together? Well, this dividing wall of hostility is something that God has broken down in Jesus Christ because what um, Jesus has done for us is that just as someone might have offended us or hurt us, we too are not above reproach. There's probably someone on the other end that we've hurt or we've offended, whether we knew it or not. And um, through Jesus, we're forgiven our offenses. And by the grace of God, the forgiveness that God extends to us, it's like we're vessels and the grace overflows like a cup flowing out over the cup. I have a strange coffee thing in the morning where I do um, pour-overs, which are the coffee snob way of making coffee these days. If you go into Octane or Revelator, that's how they make their coffee. Yeah, I've been doing that for years because it's a good camping way. When you have no electricity, you could even boil your water over the fire and pour it over the filter. You can. I love that you can do it without any electricity if you had to. Um, And so, but it also has this wonderful rich flavor. But my 
but when I, when I do it, I'm always doing something else because I'm always multitasking. So I'm filling up the water, filling it up, filling, you know, and on my little cup, the coffee, this boiling hot coffee is just spilling out over the cup because I'm not noticing. I'll turn my back and there's this huge puddle of coffee on my counter every time. You'd think that I would watch it more, but I'm, I'm just like scooting around the apartment. Cup. I need a bigger cup. I need a pitcher is what I need. But I just laugh about that. It's just this beautiful image to me of the cup overflowing. I don't mind it because I want the cup to overflow. I want there to be so much coffee in there. I'll be up all morning. You know, I'll be raring to go. Um, but that's this idea. The grace of God overflows. As we receive it, we're like that cup. And the coffee just fills it up to the full overflow and spilling out on the counter. God's grace um, fills us up to the full as we receive from him. And then forgiving others is not work, but it's this voluntary. Somehow the Lord changes our wills. And that grace, I think you could probably exchange the words grace and the Holy Spirit throughout scripture. You just switched them and swapped them. It would have the same meaning. That grace of God overflows within us. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, God works a work in our hearts. And that forgiveness is something that we, um, not because of our own strength, are somehow able to make available to those who've wronged us. And we see this, and I talked about this last week, in this language (coughs) of loving our enemies. Um, Jesus, remember, in the Sermon on the Mount, talked about turning the other cheek and loving um, not just our neighbors, but loving those who've wronged us. And then you see two parables of this in Scripture. One parable that actually happens historically, and that's the story of Jonah the prophet. Remember that God told Jonah, here, I'm going to use my fake map here. God told Jonah to go and preach to Nineveh way over here. And Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrians. And the Assyrians were about to take the Israelites into exile. They're their sworn enemies. They're the most powerful nation in the world. (coughs) And so Jonah says, no way. I don't, want, I don't want to go preach to them. And he rebels against the Lord, and he goes to a city on the coast up here. And the name of the city on the coast that he goes to is called Joppa. And that's the only other time it's mentioned in Scripture um, from where it, Peter is here in Acts chapter 10. Yeah. Jonah goes to Joppa, and he gets on a boat, and he heads in this direction. And remember, um, there's a storm and he gets thrown to the ocean, and the whale swallows him. God judges him, and then also physically brings him back. (laughs) Now he has to go to Nineveh. He's got no other choice. So he goes to Nineveh, and he preaches repentance. And what happens? But these Gentiles, these non-Jews, they repent, and Jonah is so mad. (laughs) The book of Jonah is very funny. If you read it all the way through in one sitting, you'll see it ends with a question The Lord is challenging Jonah. Jonah is sitting and sulking because God has spared the Ninevites. And the Lord says to Jonah, Should I not have pity on all of these people and much cattle? Which I love that the Lord cares about the cattle as well. And so it ends without us knowing whether or not Jonah is willing to forgive the enemy, the sworn enemy of Israel, and allow God's mercy to be for them as well as for him and for Israel. Peter is a new Jonah, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, he's a completely different, he has a completely different response. Instead of sulking and saying, no way can you have mercy on our enemies, he goes, he obeys, and he watches God's mercy be extended towards those who have hurt and wronged Israel. 
If you think about it, Rome was the superpower of the first century, and Rome oppressed um, the Jewish people. As, as their overlords, they took taxes from them. There had been violence in the way they took over the country. They had a strong show of might with their armies everywhere. And Cornelius, this Gentile, is part of the army. He is an officer in the army. What a sign of oppression. And yet, the Lord moves Peter um, to um, forgive this Roman centurion and to expect that God's mercy could be extended even to him. Unlike Jonah, he doesn't sit and sulk and refuse to go. He goes willingly. He goes gladly. He is a new Jonah, a new man, really, um, because of the grace extended through Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit. And you see this gift of God, um, and this is what Peter mentions when he talks to those in Jerusalem. The gift of God involves specifically the gift of repentance, and forgiveness. Repentance implies forgiveness as well. And then also the gift of the Holy Spirit. So you see it in verses 15 through 18. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that means the Holy Spirit, because remember, the Holy Spirit fell upon Cornelius and his whole household while Peter was still preaching. They receive the gift of God. And that gift of the Holy Spirit is a sign that they've also received forgiveness through faith in Jesus. And you can't receive forgiveness without repentance. They've repented. And this repentance itself is a gift. Um, humility is a gift. Um, I, I, it's, one, it's something I've prayed for with trepidation. Oh, Lord, make me humble. But maybe not in a really, don't, don't hurt me while you make me humble. <laughs> Isn't that funny? <laughs> Take away my pride, but maybe not really. Maybe not yet. <laughs> maybe just a little bit. Maybe just, you know, not too much. Um, but when we pray, he, that's a prayer he loves to answer. Lord, make me humble. And his way of making us humble is not always our way, um, the what things that we would want. But the gift of God, um, it's a gift to be able to get on our knees and say, I need you. Okay. Any thoughts about that before I go on to the rest of the chapter? I think that's an excellent parallel between Peter and John. I never thought about that. That's a lot. The Holy Spirit of Christ was right there with Peter. And it's the different. What's the difference? The difference is Jesus and through faith in Him, the Holy Spirit. There's a grace. Peter has received. Peter knows that grace in a way that Jonah did not know about grace. Because he thought he didn't need grace, and he didn't want anyone else to get it. Yeah. Thanks, Jonah. Um, that's uh, thanks to John's thought for that one. He marks that parallel, and I do think parallels like that. I don't think it's a mistake. You know, there are a lot of places and names in the ancient Near East that, or in the first century in Palestine that the gospel writers could have mentioned and they don't mention, thank goodness, because we'd, be, we'd have to do a lot more research to try and figure out what they all were. But so when they do mention names, it's an important thing. Thank you. I'm just, thank you. You're amazing. <laughs> I like that. Anything else? Well, so we get some more narration through the rest of this chapter. We've had a lot of repetition. 
So thank you for bearing with me if you were here last week and you've already heard all this. But, um, but this repetition is important for the circumcision party. Remember that this, um, the reason why Peter is explaining it again is because it was just such, such a sh- shift in thinking for the first century Christians, for the Jewish Christians. There's a challenge to Peter by the circumcision party in chapter 2. They don't get it, and they can't see how this could be part of God's purposes. And so Peter's going to explain to them. And, and they, when they hear Peter's testimony and how the Lord prepared Peter and Cornelius, the, the, they, they glorify God. They get silent. They no longer have objections. It says in verse 18, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also. God has granted repentance that leads to life. So um, one of the things that we're going to see, though, is that there's an overlap between what's been happening here in Caesarea and Jerusalem and then another storyline. Remember that the book of Acts is the Acts of the Apostles, Acts of Jesus, while he's seated at the right hand of the Father, the Acts of the Holy Spirit, and it's zeroed in and focused on two main characters and two main storylines. We see the Apostle Peter and all that the Lord is doing in and through him. And we also see the Apostle Paul. Remember, we've already seen Paul. He's been introduced to us because he was there when Stephen was stoned and he approved of his stoning. And then he went on to go ahead and persecute other Christians. And he was on the road to Damascus when the Lord arrested him, stopped him in his tracks, um, broke through to him, and he understood. He saw the light quite literally, understood that, um, that what he was doing was wrong because Jesus was who he said he was. Jesus truly was the Son of God, the Messiah. He was um, risen from the dead. And remember, Jesus showing him on the road. Jesus is there on the road. We don't hear from Luke that he showed him his wounds, but we know that the wounds of the crucified and risen Jesus are visible even following his resurrection. He would have seen. Somehow he knew this is Jesus, and he said, and the voice said, "This I am Jesus, who of Nazareth, who you are persecuting." Saul is converted, and um, he's taken away. He's whisked away because there's some danger that he too will be persecuted for his newfound faith. And the new Christ, the early Christians recognize that he has a gift for teaching and preaching, and they want to preserve him and protect him. So he's squirreled away to Tarsus. We're going to see an overlap in the narrative um, about Peter and about Paul um, right here in this chapter because we're reintroducing Paul through through the person of Barnabas. So while Peter is being told to minister to the Gentile Cornelius and his household, what is simultaneously happening in other parts of the known world? What do we see in verse 19 and 20? They were preaching to no one but the Jews only first off. And then what does it say next? They spoke to the Greek. Uh-huh. And this, it, this, sometimes they use the same word but mean different things. Isn't that helpful? The Greeks here are not the Greek-speaking Jews. The Greeks here are the Greek-speaking Greeks. These are total non-Jews. So while Peter is having this vision from the Lord and speaking to Cornelius, sort of simultaneous, we don't get a sense for the actual timeline, 
but it's also happening elsewhere that Christians, Jewish Christians, feel led um, or somehow are placed in a position where they're talking about Jesus to those who are not even Jewish. And those who are not even Jewish are intrigued, want to hear more, and they're coming to faith. They come to faith. And um, it says in verse 21, the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And when the church in Jerusalem hears this, who do they send? Remember this person? We could see him again. Barnabas. Barnabas. Um, We get a Barnabas sighting in these verses. Whenever we see Barnabas, what do we remember about him? What have you noticed about him before in the past? He's a good guy, isn't he? He's kind and gentle. He's generous. He is the person in chapter 4 who sells his field and gives it to the apostles and says, give this to the brothers and sisters who are impoverished. But then he gets mad at that's that's Peter Ananias and Sapphira come forward they want to get credit and be seen to be as great as Barnabas but they lied about it and they weren't actually as great as Barnabas but which would have been fine if they'd just been honest about it but they tried to trick the Holy Spirit Um, so there's um, I know we gotta go sorry I'll wrap it up Barnabas we no we No, it's good. You need to do that every week, Barbara. No, I was cold. Um, Barnabas, we see Barnabas. He's kind and gentle and generous. And Barnabas, is his name is son of encouragement. <laughs> he is an encourager. And he is a promoter of people that other people um, don't believe in. He is promoting Paul, Saul. He's putting him forward. He's endorsing him and saying, no, really, this guy's okay. And he's bringing him to Antioch. He's checking out um, what's going on in Antioch. And in Antioch, there really are bona fide real Christians. They're called Christians for the first time. And they're characterized in their Christian faith by a sign of the Holy Spirit. And this sign of the Holy Spirit is what we see in verses 27 through, 20, through 30. That by the power of the Holy Spirit, they're somehow radically generous. Even here in Antioch, even the church out of Jerusalem. Remember how in chapter 2, one of the signs of the church was that they were generous towards each other. That they took care of each other. Just like we're taking care of Paula and Craig. Just like when you um, know that your friend is sick, you write a letter to her or you go over and give her a meal, you help her out. This is a sign of the Holy Spirit because it's the Holy Spirit that changes our hearts to make us even want to do that, to make us even think about other people before ourselves. Um, So we see this sign of the Holy Spirit here. So what's the moral of the story? What is the bullseye over all these, after I've talked at you for an hour? In the narrative of Acts, in this example of this overlapping tapestry of Peter and Paul, what we're seeing and one of the things that Luke is telling us in an ongoing way is that God's hand is at work in the events of our lives. His salvation purposes cannot be thwarted. God's purposes for us as his people, just as for his first century people, are good. He is loving and gracious towards us. He desires good things for us even if we don't see them at the time he knows what he's doing and we can trust that the history of our lives Mm -hmm. is in his hands just like the history of the early church is completely in his hands um, completely being directed so that even when 
things happen that don't go our way or the way we would like them to go or the way we think they should go, we can trust that God is in control and that he is so he's sovereign and he's gracious and good to us. Okay, let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for all of the benefits of faith in you, uh, the benefits that you've given to us, that um, even the gift of repentance, a humbling of us, that is your work in us, the gift of your grace and that forgiveness of our sins, the gift of the Holy Spirit overflowing in us, the gift of even um, being empowered to love beyond ourselves and to give beyond ourselves. We see your early Christians, your early followers doing that, and we trust that you can do that in and through us as well. And so we ask, cause your grace to overflow within us, to spill out over us, um, out of our lives into the lives of those around us. Give us grace if there's someone in our life that um, we need to forgive, but we just can't, or that we feel like we've forgiven, but we just don't want to be around them at all. Um, Lord, would you cause the grace that you've given us to overflow into our relationship with that person or those people. Lord, let your will be done in our lives. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we ask this in your name, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.